Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Sarita Domingo about her brand new audiobook. It's If I Don't Have You. It's available on Audible right now. Uh, We chat about why it's quite a tightly formatted book, but how even with that, uh, even across just three acts, it left her room to, to go with the flow and learn about the characters as she went. You can hear how the idea came from quite a bizarre dream, And what she did when she woke up, before she actually sat down to write it, what happens in that gap. Uh, And we talk about writing romance, and why she doesn't really care for the normal tricks and tropes of the genre. I think I'm more interested in just the idea of falling in love. So while there is a structure, I don't think it's kind of... I'm, I'm less interested in tropes. Although they do obviously inevitably sneak in, um, and I don't obviously there's absolutely nothing wrong with tropes, but it's just a slightly different approach for me. But I do, I do love romance, um, and I do love the the idea of experiencing two characters falling in love, both in terms of reading it and writing it. Stick around; there is more on the way with Sarita Domingo this week in Writer's Routine. <laughs> Yes, welcome along to Writer's Routine, the show where we take a look inside an author's working day. Uh, This episode is sponsored by the new book uh, from Caroline Lawrence. I think it will really help you out because if you're interested in the craft of storytelling, and I'll be honest, I can only gather that you must be, that's why you're here. Uh, Well, this book has been made pretty much for you. It's called How to Write a Great Story. And Caroline knows about that. She's written 35 books, sold over a million of them. Her Roman mystery series has been on the BBC. Uh, She gives talks all over the place on the technique of writing, writing for kids, writing for adults as well. And this book is a real joy, a real immersive joy on how to bring words to life. It takes you through the whole process, from the who, the what, the where and the why right to the very end. And it's filled with ways that you can bring the words out if you're struggling a little bit. There are little tips scattered all the way through, like like torturing your hero, uh, understanding the theme better, why you need to work on the three-act structure as well. It helps you understand the storyboard. There's things in there about talismans, about the stakes of your book. Uh, There's ideas about what you can do if your work is stagnating, Uh, why snacks can always help with writing, why it's important to put your phone away to help the story take shape in your head. 
it is fantastically done. Listen, I've spoken to over 100 or over 130 authors on the show now on this very subject. And sometimes trying to pull out great tips and bits of advice on storytelling can be quite hard because it's quite it's quite difficult to structure and verbalize these abstract ideas but Caroline does a brilliant job uh, of putting them down onto paper and really helping you out with it. If you're interested in writing fantastically you need to find out more about this book. It is the ultimate companion and it's one of those ones that you can read all the way through and you can also pick up and find out what you need when you need it just to remind you of some stuff you already know. It's beautifully illustrated too, um, and there's a brilliant bit in there as well about how Pixar tells stories in a way that almost can't be beaten, but you can learn how they do it. It's in the new book by Caroline Lawrence. It's called How to Write a Great Story. Look it up. Support the writing community that we've got going on here. Uh, It's a brilliant book. I will pop a link so that you can get a copy in the episode notes and over at writersroutine.com. Now, this week on Writers Routine, hello, by the way, um, my name's Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for listening. Um, As we're coming to the end of the month, I hope you've done well with uh, NaNoWriMo, if that's what you've been doing for the last few weeks or so. I hope your word count is on track. I hope at all if possible that this show has helped you out with that and this episode should push you towards the end we're chatting to Sarita Domingo this week she is the author of five novels uh, a short story collection some erotic short stories too her new one is a novel and an audiobook from Audible it's called If I Don't Have You it's all about an unexpected romance between Ren and Kayla who are thrown together in the world of showbiz Uh, we talk about how she had the idea after a bizarre dream about Eminem, the real Slim Shady, and then what she did with it after the dream. Uh, she also works as an editor for Mills and Boone, so we chat about what her work there has taught her about how first drafts should look. You can hear how she stops herself procrastinating, why sexy music helps her write as well, and how she balances working full-time and working on her passion for writing all in a day. It's a brilliant chat, this one. I think you'll really enjoy it. Very quick warning before we crack on with it. And I can't really believe it's taken me this long. It's taken nine months of online recording through various lockdowns. But it's finally happened. I've recorded using the wrong microphone. So I sound a little bit dodgy. But Sarita sounds brilliant and she's what you're here for. So bear with. I think you'll really enjoy this. We start, as always, with what Sarita sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Um, well, I'm lucky enough to have uh, sort of um, a room of my own, as it were. Um, our spare room is sort of like my office, and that's where uh, where I sit down and write. And I've got a desk in there that looks out of the window, um, so I can see sort of buildings and things in my immediate uh, view. But then I've got a really nice view of um, Crystal Palace, and I can see the the tower, the sort of uh, Crystal Palace Eiffel Tower thing in the distance. Um, And then around me on my desk, um, I've got kind of, uh, I've got a picture of Toni Morrison, who's my hero, um, that I printed out and it's a picture of her at her writing desk. And I've put a little speech bubble on it that says, uh, time to write, just for motivation. Um... And I've got things like, um, I've got a couple of lanyards of uh, like events that I've done where it says Sarita Domingo, author, uh, also to uh, motivate me and remind me that that's what I'm supposed to be. Um, and then I'll be on my desk kind of um, a few writing books, maybe 
Um, I really like a book called The Writer's Book of Days, which has sort of writing prompts for each day of the of the year and things like um, On Writing, I think it's called by Sol Stein and uh, An Emotional Thesaurus. So I don't get repetitive about sort of the emotions descriptions that I use. Um, and there's always a big pile of uh, CDs because I'm still one of those people that uses <laughs> uses CDs um, and a stereo, mainly so I don't get distracted sort of trying to search things on uh, on uh, Spotify or whatever. Um, but yeah, I tend to listen to quite a lot of music when I write. So there's usually a selection of CDs on, on the desk as well. What type of music does it have to be while you're writing? It, do they have lyrics in it or not? Is it particularly pertinent to the type of thing that you're writing? Yeah, definitely. I try to sort of, often at least, I'll try and set the mood of what I'm writing um, with music. So if it's something quite sexy, um, occasionally it will be um, music with lyrics. So I do quite like listening to like FKA Twigs or James Blake, quite moody, sexy music or a lot or most often it will be jazz. So wordless, um, like Miles Davis and particularly to kind of get going specific albums like um, Bitches Brew by Miles Davis, really, because it's quite experimental and pacey and weird it just kind of it really helps get me in the zone for writing and with the books that you were talking about there uh, how are they helping you I'm, I'm always curious because you know I do a, I do a podcast trying to help people to write when you're when you are writing and maybe you're finding moments a bit hard the words are struggling to come out what is it about reading books reading prompts that that helps that it kind of unblock a little bit um, I mainly use them for particularly if I've done sort of a full draft of a book and then I want to sort of reassess it. I'll I'll look at books about writing and kind of think, am I am I achieving the things that they're sort of describing um, in these books? Are that am I hitting those markers, or are there sort of ideas in there that I could try and um, incorporate into my writing so they're kind of just there as a reference particularly when I'm redrafting and with things like the emotional thesaurus that was something I I only came across recently but it's very useful for if I feel like I'm repeating the same sort of ideas for emotions again and again so yeah just for reference really uh, talk me around the walls of the room that you're writing do we have art on there do we have plot points, little memory aids for you so you know what you are actually getting done that day? Um, I actually do put sort of um, post-it notes on the window, on the sides of the window when I'm writing. I'll put sort of the key themes or ideas that I want to keep in mind when I'm writing to sort of remind me and make sure I'm not straying from the from the ideas that I have um, or supposed to be focusing on in, in the writing that I'm doing. But around me, uh, and like on there, there are lots of books. There's um, bookshelves completely stuffed with books, and sort of some of them are books that I've written. So those are face out, um, just to kind of remind me that hey, I've actually had some books published. And um, there's a mirrored wardrobe right next to my desk, so I can kind of disconcertingly see myself sitting at the desk writing. Um, and I do. <laughs> it's probably a bit too much information, but sometimes I do turn to 
my reflection and sort of um, sound things out or look at myself or yeah it's very weird um, and there's a sofa in there as well so quite often my cat is curled up on that um, if she's not trying to jump on my keyboard and um, well yeah there is, there is a bit of art there's kind of um, just a few bits and pieces there's a framed photo of Keanu Reeves in uh, Point Break because he's one of my favorites um there's a, a crossword that my husband completed so he was very pleased with himself um and yeah just other bits and pieces um but yeah that's about it really I work full-time so I'm um I'm an editor by day so um I edit books uh for Mills and Boone so I tend to get up really early um like 5 30 ish on a typical day to um try and get some writing done before I go to work uh so I'd get up do everything that I would need to do you know shower get dressed and everything um so I'd be sitting at my desk maybe by about quarter to seven and um at that point I mean I I'm a bit of a procrastinator so I do use a couple of apps to try and uh avoid just surfing the internet or deciding I suddenly need something from you know internet shopping or something so um usually it will it, you can program uh, there's something called cold turkey that I use on my laptop that um will it sort of kicks in at a particular time and it only you can um select which websites you want to be able to access so if I need to research something it will still allow me to do that but it blocks others that I find tempting and I also use um, an app called Forest on my phone. <laughs> Sounds like I've got a real problem. But yeah, so those two things um, I sort of engage. And then I probably start writing. Um, I do tend to go back over what I've written the day before. So I'll look over that a bit, maybe do a few tweaks and then write for maybe an hour, an hour and a half before I head to work. Um, and then I'll be at work all day and in the evening, come home, maybe eat something, watch a bit of TV for an hour or so, and then do maybe an hour, hour and a half of writing in the evening as well. Is, is that the perfect day? Are you sticking to that quite tight re regimen uh, every single day of the week? You're always up at 5.30, you're getting it done, you're coming home, then you're doing more work? Pretty much, yeah. Um I mean, I do, you know, I wouldn't call it ideal in the sense that while I do love editing books, um, I do also love writing. So, and I'm not that fond of getting up at half five. So, um, but certainly on the weekends, I do write as well. So um, it's maybe a bit more leisurely on the weekend. I might um, sort of get writing after lunchtime um, and write till, I don't know, six o'clock or something, depending on what I'm doing that that day. Um but yeah, I think I'm quite disciplined with it. Um, otherwise, I just wouldn't get a novel written, really, because working full time is, you know, quite time consuming as well. Those are two quite different hours of the day, your writing sessions. How are they different for you? Uh, do you find you're much better at working in the morning than the evening? Maybe it's the other way around. Is it a real chore in the morning? Is it quite a slog to keep yourself going late at night? Um, I don't know. I don't, uh, I do quite like the sort of feeling of being solitary in the morning. Um, 
it's quite inspirational. Often I, I can, you know, watch the sunrise and things like that, which is inspiring and beautiful. But um, I don't know if I'm any more productive in the morning or the evening. I, I kind of, um, I think they're different. So in the evening, I quite like um, one of my favorite writers, Jandy Nelson. I saw a talk where she she spoke about writing in the dark so in the evening I do quite like to leave all the lights off and just write with just the light of my laptop or maybe a lamp or a candle and so that gives a different feel as well. Can you try and sorry can you try and describe that feel I know that might be a bit too abstract but what is it about writing in the dark that is quite that I I guess romantic? Yeah it's very it feels um it's sort of like sensory deprivation and particularly if I'm listening to music as well, it it has a different, um, it sort of sets a different type of tone than the morning, which, I mean, you know, it kind of depends on what I'm writing as well, but the sort of glow from your laptop, it feels um, more isolated and maybe easier to access um, my thoughts when I'm writing in the dark so I suppose in in a way it's not that dissimilar to the early morning feeling when I'm the only one up and I'm sort of alone with my thoughts in that way as well. If you've only got these two separate moments of the day to write if we were to drill down into those how do they go? Uh, do, are, are you full steam ahead as soon as you sit down to as soon as you stop when you've when you've turned off all your social medias? Does the energy kind of ebb and flow and you, you do kind of find yourself having to, to pull back into it? Yeah, it definitely, I, I need a run it, I need a run up to it. Um, I, I don't find it all that easy to just immediately drop back into my writing, which is probably why I go back over what I've written before, even though that means it's sort of a longer process than just cracking straight on. Um, but I do feel like I need to build back into the mood of what I was writing before. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not one to just sort of be able to crack on, but, but I don't, I don't really put too much pressure on myself in that respect. And I do find it useful to go over and sort of finesse what I've written the day before. Um, because it's sort of like redrafting as I'm going as well. How do you know what you are sitting down to write every day? Um, I don't really. I kind of just um, lead off from uh, from what I've written before. I used to be, I used to plan my my sort of writing out a lot more, and I think that stemmed from it used to be uh, my job because I worked as a fiction packager for eight years, where we sort of wrote briefs for writers and then commissioned writers and sold the whole package to publishers so it was my job to plan um stories chapter by chapter and certainly for my first novel I approached it that way um as well so I tried to plot out what I do in each chapter but I soon kind of abandoned that method because it just felt a bit too rigid and a bit uh, kind of unnecessary um I think I just mainly now start off with the idea of what, you know, like an opening scene. And then with because I write romantic fiction, there's already kind of a built in arc there. 
um at least for my stories I kind of know they're gonna end up together so it's sort of how to progress from the time that the characters meet to um the moment when they'll sort of head off into the sunset or the happy for now um and thinking about their conflicts and things but I don't now tend to sort of rigidly plot what I'm gonna actually do in in the story I want to talk about all of that I want to really get into plotting in just a sec I've just got a few more questions um I think lastly on the day you've got your music as well is there anything else that you need that really helps you out when you are writing if things are going a bit slowly if if the words are struggling to come out can you rely on like a cup of coffee at a certain time maybe a glass of wine in the evening at a certain time that just gotta help things out um unfortunately not that I don't have like a a magic elixir really that that helps me too much I um I don't really even I mean maybe I do have like a cup of tea or anything or something like that but I don't tend to um I don't tend to sort of get up and go and fix myself something. I, 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 it really is just kind of the music and the stories. I might refer back to sort of my notes. Um, I tend to to write quite a lot of notes before I start writing a project, so I might go back over those, or I, I kind of write myself out of of issues in the sense that I will go back to my notebook and write down thoughts or ideas or. Um, points that I want to try and achieve with the characters um, and then go back into the writing the actual laptop I do think I'm sort of more aware of what fundamentally makes a compelling story but that's not to say that I can always sort of easily execute it Um, but I think it sort of affects the way that uh, it's I think it mainly affects the way I approach drafting the book so once once I've written a first draft I think my editorial brain kicks in then um it it does feel like quite oddly it feels like a separate process being a writer versus being an editor although no doubt one influences the other but it kind of it's still hard it's still surprisingly hard to think with an editor's brain when I'm actually writing a story I don't really like feeling restricted or thinking um, I need to write this in a particular way in order to satisfy a particular aspect of storytelling or to, um, so I don't really think about audience or anything like that. Not, not to a great extent when I'm actually writing the book. And also I can't imagine there are many other jobs out there when people do their day job and will also wake up early and go to bed later to do another version of that day job. What is it about storytelling that draws you in to such an extent that you're doing it for what, like 18 hours a day, five days a week? Um, I mean, it's just a compulsion. I think one thing I would say is that um, I'm not one of those fortunate writers who could rely on only writing to make an income. So editing books I also absolutely love editing and I love um, guiding and helping other writers so the two things are genuine passions of mine so it doesn't well it does feel like work that's that's kind of a lie you know when people say it doesn't even feel like work it kind of does but um, 
it's not something that I would do if I didn't genuinely love doing it and feel a compulsion to do it. I mean, yeah, I don't think I would be getting up at half five if it was something that I wasn't genuinely passionate about. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just, um, I'm propelled along by, by the love for it. Yeah. For the love for storytelling. Where does that love come from? Do you think? I'm not sure. I've always loved, um, I've always loved writing. I've always loved books, um, since I was a, a young kid and, you know, if there was ever the opportunity to do like a creative response or whatever, instead of, um, answering questions, in another way in an exam or for an essay that was always my go-to so I think it's just the way I express myself um so that that's just always something I've done um and I've been fortunate enough to be able to pursue it as my career hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're back with more from Sarita Domingo in just a sec. Now, this episode of Writer's Routine is sponsored by Caroline Lawrence's brilliant new book, How to Write a Great Story. Now, she supported the show over on our Patreon page. If you would like your book to sponsor an episode of the show, that's what you need to do. You need to get to patreon.com and pledge to help us out for a month. You can get loads for doing that. You get our thanks, you get little bits of merch, and you can get the big sponsorship as well. Now, it doesn't need to be a lot. Just a little bit every month, it really means the world. It helps us to carry on doing this regularly, helps us to continue bringing you chats with as many of the best writers as we can. If you can help us out, if you've learned anything along the way that has helped the way you tell your stories, please send whatever you can, just a little bit a month. Uh, It really goes a long way. You can do that over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with more from Sarita Domingo chatting about her new novel and audio book from Audible, If I Don't Have You. It's all about the whirlwind romance between Ren and Kayla. Now, in this half, we chat about why she really isn't interested in the tropes of genre. 
We also talk about what the publishing industry needs to do for fairer representation across all races, all cultures and colours. And we pick things up talking about the very first idea that she had for the story. What was that light bulb moment? It's quite a strange light bulb. But um, I had a dream about Eminem, the rapper. Um, Not that kind of dream, but I'm not even like a massive fan of his or anything like that. But I had a very vivid dream that I was a journalist and that I was sent to interview him, but somehow missed the official interview. And so I went to his apartment and interviewed him. Um, And that just kind of struck me as an interesting idea. and then I, separately, I saw a clip of the Emmys, um, so the television awards in America, and saw uh, a director called Carrie Joji Fukunaga, who's actually directing the new Bond film. But uh, he's incredibly good looking. And I was like, wait, who's that? Um, and the two ideas sort of melded together in my mind. And I decided um, that I wanted an opening scene where uh, a journalist was sent to interview someone she was very attracted to and um, they had a lot of chemistry and then uh, I wanted to kind of explore the idea of them throwing caution to the wind and having a, a one night stand that ends up becoming more so yeah the catalyst was a weird uh, dream I had about Eminem which was in no way romantic <laughs> But um, for some reason, that that was the initial kernel of the idea. I have to say very quickly, Carrie Joji Fukunaja, he's a dashing chap, a very, very dashing chap. He is extremely attractive, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, well, listen, so you've got this idea, you've had this this dream about Eminem. Uh, What comes next? So this is quite maybe an annoying question for an author to answer. Uh, but you've kind of talked us slightly through your process earlier on, which is you have the idea, you start writing it. So you've got this initial idea and you, you want to investigate the idea of a romance between two people who are kind of thrown together. How do you unpack that further before you do start typing away at your laptop? I always start with um, just writing down ideas and I tend to start a new notebook um, and just start sort of writing down the very basic ideas. So I'll write things like um, throwing caution to the wind. I'll just write that down as a phrase Um, and sort of write down some ideas about the characters, um, what their sort of backgrounds or situations might be, um, particularly what their conflicts might be. That's quite important for sort of romantic stories. You don't want it to just be that they meet and then they fall in love and then it's fine. So kind of thinking a bit about what the obstacles might be for, for those characters. Um, and particularly for, if I don't have you, I, I wanted it to be in three parts. So, um, I did write down very basic ideas of what would happen in the first, second and third parts of the novel, excuse me, the novel. Um, so I, I knew I wanted the first part to just be the night that they are sort of thrown together and um, have this whirlwind affair. And then I knew that by the end of that, they would conclude that there's too much between them to just call it a one night stand. 
and that they decide to try and carry things on um, long distance kind of because Kayla, the female character, she's a black British woman living in New York and uh, she has to go back to London and um, Ren, who is, he's a film director. That's, that's where the Carrie Fukunaga bit came in. He, um, he's off to film, um, to shoot a film in New Zealand. So they'll be miles and miles apart. And so I knew that I wanted the second part to be how they navigate the long distance. And initially I actually wrote that as being completely epistolary. So it was kind of their emails and letters and text messages. Um, only so no other type of narration and then the third part I knew I wanted to have a couple of years have passed things hadn't worked out as they had planned but then they meet again so I knew I had those that was kind of the structure I was working to and I wrote all that kind of thing down in a notebook and I knew what the opening scene would be with um, Kayla interviewing Ren so I kind of worked from there. I tend to just write, you know, a good 10 pages of notes in a notebook and then begin, start writing. Why is was setting it in three parts quite important to you? Why are you not writing this in a standard way? Why, why are you charting their relationship through just three snapshots in their timeline? How did that come to you? Um. I'm not really sure. I kind of, I knew, um, I really like stories like, um, say before sunrise that take place over one night. Um, it's a film, but I didn't want to, I kind of wanted, I knew I wanted to explore the idea of what happens after love at first sight. And I'd kind of, I didn't want it to just be a linear thing. I thought that would be boring. And also, wouldn't sort of allow you to to jump into each you know the mo- the key aspects of um navigating that kind of relationship so i thought snapshots as you put it is kind of was kind of a good way of approaching these key moments in their relationship rather than just trying to tell it all the way through um but i did change the well i i kind of I also just was thinking about three-act structure in terms of films. Um, I kind of wanted it to be quite cinematic, but in book form. So, yeah. What I find, what what, what I'm, you know, getting my head around at this point is, uh, earlier on you mentioned that you don't really know too much about the story before you you sit down. You, You kind of stopped trying to do that. But if you've clearly defined these three moments that you are going to focus on, surely when you are writing that first bit, you do know some of what's happening in, in Act 2 and then Act 3. I mean, kind of, but um, really not not much beyond knowing, that, you know, I kind of just knew they would be apart um, in, in the second act and that in the third act, they'd be somehow thrown back together and it would be maybe two or three years later. But that was really the only information that I went into the story with. Um, so I did kind of just let it unfurl as I wrote. Um, but certainly with the second part, I had initially written that all as just them um, exchanging letters and emails. But when I went back 
over it, I kind of thought that that didn't work. So I just used the letters and emails that I had and incorporated some of them into that second bit. Um, one of them ended up as a prologue and one of them is in the third part as well. But I it was quite useful to use their letters as a way to to plot, I guess, to kind of think about what they would be doing and um, how they would express themselves. And the whole book is written in first person um, and it alternates in chapters between Kayla and Ren's perspectives. Um, so I kind of, I guess I used that structure quite loosely at first, but it did allow me to have some sense of what I was planning to do with the story. It ended up feeling a bit too limited um, because obviously when you're writing a letter to somebody, even if it's somebody you're emotionally connected to, it's it's not the same as um, being able to access that character's thoughts in first person, you know, in and of themselves and then the parts that they're leaving out or what they're doing in their day to day um, that they don't perhaps tell the other person about. And, and that became particularly important because the second act is kind of there's a lot about what Kayla and Ren are both doing that they're not telling the other person and that's part of why things end up falling apart for them so Kayla it's uh, we know from the very beginning of the book that Kayla is planning a green card wedding to one of her best friends who she kind of runs a web magazine with in New York um, so she's planning to marry this guy who she's not in love with just to get a green card. But she sort of decides not to tell Ren that <laughs> quite key information. Um, so I've, I ended up feeling like it didn't quite work to only have their letters because it left too much for the reader to infer. Whereas if uh, when I went back and sort of re rewrote that part more traditionally, it allowed me to to explain more about what she was feeling and also what Ren was up to as well. And on that voice and the perspective that you're telling the story from, if you're alternating the chapters from Kayla to Ren, how easy was it to switch between those two quite distinctive voices simply uh, without muddying the waters, I guess? Maybe I'm glamorising it too much, uh, but, but was, that, was that a challenge at all? Um, it actually was quite easy only because they're so different and they, their voices were so different to me in my head because Kayla, she's a black British woman. So she kind of, um, she's from London. She, I guess it was a bit closer to my own voice um, in a way. And so I found it quite easy to access her. Um, and I kind of had aspects of her character. I knew she was quite self-confident I knew she was quite um, forthright. So I found it quite easy to access her voice. And then again with Ren, he's a New Yorker. He He's an African-American man with Brazilian heritage. So I, again, kind of really had a sense of what his voice was, what his cadence would be. Um, so writing both of them in first person, it felt like they were already quite different and it was quite easy to switch between their two voices um, as I was alternating in each chapter. And then, of course, they're speaking to one another. So, um, yeah, I knew how to sort of get their voice in there through speech as well. 
and this is quite a simplistic question, but you surround yourself with words almost every hour of the day, the written word. How much did you think about the next word that was coming? Were you too concerned about making it the right word? Or is it just a case of getting it down there? It doesn't matter what it is, we can fix it later. Um, probably a bit of both. I mean, I I don't overanalyze every single sentence as I'm actually writing it. But certainly when I go back over, even if I'm just going over, you know, from the night before, or if I, when I'm actually, you know, doing, going over the draft, the full draft, then that's more about finessing word choice. Um, and my editorial brain probably kicks in a lot more at that point. But as I'm writing, no, I don't necessarily think too much, you know, I don't fixate too much on what's the perfect word to use. Um, as I'm going along. You mentioned earlier with with you writing romance novels that there is already an arc over how this story is going to to, to go, that we're reading, we want them to get together in the end. Um, How important is it for you as a writer to maybe give the reader something that they're not expecting from a romance story? I mean, that really is quite important to me. I, I guess what what I um, term what I write is more romantic fiction than necessarily sort of genre romance. I think there is there are slightly different expectations from readers of romance if they're very interested in genre. Um, you know, there are tropes that perhaps um, you might expect from romance. So you know, like um, convenient marriage or. Um, pretend to be my boyfriend, you know, like a fake boyfriend or fake girlfriend type situation, which isn't the starting point for me. I think I'm more interested in just the idea of falling in love. So while there is a structure, I don't think it's kind of, I, I'm I'm less interested in tropes, although they do obviously inevitably sneak in. Um, and I don't, obviously there's absolutely nothing wrong with tropes, but it's just a slightly different approach for me. But I do, I do love romance. Um, and I do love the, the idea of experiencing two characters falling in love, both in terms of reading it and writing it. Lastly, can I ask you about Black Lives Matter? Mm. What are you right? You edit, you've been in the publishing industry for a while. Um, what does, uh, and we're seeing quite rightly, this this cultural wave of change where people for a long time have realised that they need to do better, particularly people in power, to, to give fair representation. Uh, how is the public industry, how is the publishing industry with this? I mean, when, um, when the booker was shared earlier this year uh, and, you know, Bernadine Evaristo, uh, it was shared and... and that was a big deal. Um, maybe a bigger deal than it really needed to be. What does the publishing industry still need to do for fair representation? Wow. I mean, it's um, it's interesting because, for example, if I don't have you, um, I decided to go with Jacaranda Books for to publish that. So, um, And obviously they've done this deal with Audible as well. But um, Jacaranda Books is a black-owned um, independent publishing company and it, it, it was very important for me to to sort of have the opportunity to work with a publisher like them 
with a book that features black characters and they're actually publishing 20 black British authors um, this year in 2020. And I think what really needs to happen is for the publishing industry as a whole to realize that there are so many black authors out there, um, talented black authors who um, deserve as much opportunity and focus as their white counterparts. Um, and it's the same within the industry itself in terms of, um, you know, the talent, publishing talent. We need more people of all, you know, different um, ethnicities and different sexual orientations, all that kind of, you know, we need to reflect society more accurately, both um, on the page and sort of behind the scenes. So I think some work is being done towards that, but, you know, it, it's it's incremental and it does sort of feel like waves come around, you know, every couple of years where the publishing industry realizes that they need to do better. But I think what we need is more consistency in that um, and more opportunity, more recognition um, across the board. Is that the job of, is that the job of a writer? I'm I'm trying to word this in a way, it's just quite a, a tough question to, to, to work. Is it the job of a writer to fairly represent characters in their story that where perhaps it isn't uh, necessary is the wrong word, but where it, it, that it would naturally be the case? If you kind of get what I mean? Yeah, I think I know what you mean. I mean, so writing your own experience or writing maybe characters that aren't of your own background. Yeah, and, and then putting in and and, put, and putting in characters of of different sexuality and different culture just because that's kind of what 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 society is is asking for at that moment no I mean I would never I would never expect that a writer should do that certainly not tokenistically I think it always needs to serve the story and feel natural to the story and if you are writing characters that aren't of your own background or experience you need to be careful you need to um properly research it you need to question why you feel the need to include um those characters and and make sure that it genuinely is serving the story and is coming from an authentic place um but I certainly wouldn't what I wouldn't want is for authors to feel that they should sort of tokenistically include characters just to sort of appease a moment um I think it always needs to just serve the story but what we do need is just um, more space for people to tell their own stories. And that is it for Sarita Domingo on this week's episode. Uh, if you enjoyed the chat, if you think you might like to read or listen to If I Don't Have You, her brand new book, you can get yourself a copy. Uh, just use the link that is in the episode notes wherever you're listening and it's over at writersroutine.com as well. While you're on the website, uh, use the contact form on there, get in touch, let me know what you think, let me know how you've got on with NaNoWriMo, whether you've got even close to your the, the word count for the month. Now, next week, uh, we're chatting to CJ Cook all about her new novel, The Nesting, which is a twisting, turning, chilling thriller uh, set in, in the freezing cold fjords. Perfect for winter, I reckon. So that's next week. If you subscribe, uh, the episode will automatically download. Uh, before then... 
If you want to help us out, you can do that on Patreon. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and you can also follow us on Twitter. We are at WritersPod there. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week with CJ Cook on Writer's Routine. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.